We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Pro teams have millions to spend, and they don't always spend them wisely. But when it comes to a great shave, you don't have to shell out tons of cash. Harry's saw customers getting ripped off by the shaving industry with overpriced, underperforming products and decided to do something better. They found their own way to make beautifully designed razors for a fraction of the price of the other big brands, so you never wonder if you overpaid. Harry's shaving products look great, and the weighted handle makes shaving feel great too. I like to keep my beard neat, and Harry's always leaves me with a smooth yet crisp shave. Harry's quality is top-notch, thanks to German-engineered blades made in their own factory that stay sharp longer. You can get a five-blade razor, weighted handle, foaming shave gel, and a travel cover for just three bucks at harrys.com slash bluewire. And Harry's has the highest customer satisfaction in the shaving industry, plus a convenient subscription option that you can cancel at any time. Getting the best doesn't mean spending the most when you shave with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com slash bluewire. That's harrys.com slash bluewire for a $3 trial set. Welcome to the Pat Mayo Experience, presented by DraftKings. Sub to the YouTube channel, Mayo Media Network, and smash the like to the episode or if you're a fan of audio podcasts we got you covered pat mayo experience on apple Podcasts or spotify you can just search it or just hit any of the links down in the description right now to get full access all completely free as well you also have projections simulations run the sims.com code mayo will get you a discount on that as well joining me on our annual summit as we've done, I think, each of the past three or four years now, Rob Pozzola from the Hammer.bet to talk about the intro to betting. How do lines actually get made for football at these sports books? How should we be betting on football at these sports books? What's the difference between being sharp, being square, or being a pro better and just being someone who throws money down on Sunday mornings? Probably not going to get the best lines. We're going to go over it all. You can hit the description if there's something of interest to you that you want. And down in the description, please, or the comment section, just tell me like what stuff that we didn't cover on the show that you would like to hear more about in the future. Because Rob, I know you guys are doing a ton of stuff over at thehammer.bet that uh, will touch on many of these same themes, I think, throughout the course of the season. Yeah, it's a busy time, obviously, but I think that there's definitely a lack of education in the space. So 
at the hammer, we're definitely going to do our regular picks content throughout NFL season, how to react to injuries and all that stuff. But there's also going to be a good mix of educational content that just helps the recreational better a little bit more. A lot of people bet strictly for entertainment, and that's totally fine. That doesn't mean you can't do things to help you and kind of swing the odds in your favor. I think that I've become someone who's like that. Everyone knows I'm a recreational better. I bet for entertainment. That doesn't mean I just want to lose every single bet. So I feel like over the past few years, be it daily fantasy on DraftKings, betting at DraftKings Sportsbook, everything of that nature, I've gotten a little bit better than I used to be, I, th I think. And a lot of that has to do with talking through with you on these shows. Well, that's good. I, I appreciate that. But you bring up a good point. Like I started as a recreational better. I mean, I started betting when I was 16 years old. I was 20 years ago. And probably for half of my betting career, I was strictly recreational or casual, whatever you want to call it. But at some point, I just got tired of losing regularly. Uh, you talk about betting for entertainment. Well, losing regularly is not all that entertaining. At least it's not for me. And I think for a lot of people, they would agree. So I kind of set myself on a path of how can I do this um, and sustain this for a longer period of time rather than just, you know, consistently losing paycheck to paycheck. So uh, I think that there's something there for even if you're betting in, you know, from an entertainment point of view, just doing some little things that are going to prolong your bankroll. Or even if you're a loser, and I sorry to use that term, but it is the, the term like how to lose less in the long run, basically. Yeah, that's what I'm really interested. How can I lose less <laughs> right. in the long term? That's I mean, I, I'm going to be real with myself. I've tracked my results. I had a good daily fantasy year last year that paid off some of the betting losses, but you know, I ended up slightly down. That sucks. Um, better than ending up a lot down. Would prefer to be a lot up, but especially when it comes to football betting, because I mainly focus on golf betting in the off season for football. One of the biggest mistakes that I see people make during football season and something that I used to do that I cleaned up is that I don't need to bet on everything that I can kind of pick my spots a little bit better. I know that you, me, you and Cam do a show throughout the course of the year. We call it our best bets, our gold, our silver, our bronze. You know, I bet all of those, but sometimes that's all I bet throughout the course of the week. Unless I see an injury that moves a line that I get to stay a line on, that I'm very happy about that. A prop, like I use run the Sims a ton to run those simulations. And unless a prop is way off, I'm probably not going to sit there and hammer it, but I will if the numbers tell me like, hey, there's a 30 yard difference in this over under, and then I'll try to throw down as much as I can on a single prop. But I'm not just arbitrarily betting 10 games because 10 games are on. I'm not betting Monday night football because Monday night football is the only game on tonight. No, I'll have my fun and throw a lottery ticket at a first round, or I was gonna say first round later, but first touchdown score on a primetime game, just you know to have a little bit of action. I still crave the action but it's not contributing to major losses like it used to be. What are you seeing with mistakes that people are making? Yeah, so that's a great one that you point out right there. And there's like a misconception in market because a lot of people or a lot of pros will throw out that volume is your friend, right? You want to be betting as much volume as possible when you're betting on sports. And if you're a professional better, that's true because typically you're betting with an edge. So if you're making a bet over and over and over and you have an edge on all of these things, the more bets you can make, the better off you're going to be in the long run. That's the name of the game for a professional better. For a recreational or casual better, the vast majority of the bets that you're going to make are bets that don't have an edge. You, you, it, a lot of people don't, you can't even tell if they have an edge. That's probably an indicator right there of whether they do or not. And when you're compounding these bets, when you don't have an edge, that's the quicker way to basically blow your bankroll in its entirety, right? Like if you don't have an edge and you bet three games a day, 
you're much better off than if you don't have an edge and you bet 30 games a day. You're going to just go to zero a lot quicker that way. So that is a huge one for me. The second one I think that the recreational better really struggles with is the timing of their bets. And a lot of people will wait till last minute, right before game time, and they'll just fire on whatever they're going to fire on. That's the absolute worst possible time that a better can make their bet because at that point, the sports book is extremely confident in their in their betting lines at that point. And you can tell because a lot of sports books will just raise their limits towards game time as the course uh, as the, the week surpasses over the course of the week. Limits get higher and higher and higher at a lot of these books. So typically speaking, I think that's a huge one. You know, obviously, there's always going to be that time where, you know, it's Monday night football. You haven't made a bet. You want to sit down, enjoy the game. Sure. I'm not telling you to to refrain from doing that altogether. But over the course of the long run, I think people should get into the habit of betting earlier rather than waiting till the last minute. When would be the ideal time to make a bet? Is there an ideal time, like earlier the better? Or do you want to wait for some information to come out? Or do you try to get ahead of the information and make your bet based off what you think that's going to? It's almost a bet on the bet of the information. Like, oh, yeah, this quarterback's actually not going to play. The line doesn't necessarily reflect that as of yet. It's more of a hedge line of, is he going to play? Is he not going to play? But if you have a very strong feeling that he is or is not going to play, you can try to get ahead of that. What do you think is the best timing for this? Honestly, earlier, the better. And when I say earlier, sometimes it'll be like, you'll be watching NFL Sunday night football and the lines for next week are getting posted. That might be your best chance as a better to get down. Now, a lot of people maybe, you know, don't want to do that and don't want to be available to like when lines open right away. But typically speaking, the earlier, the better, because there's something uh, in the market called price discovery from a sports book. So it, you can learn something from the, the offshore sports books that that post their limits, right? There's a lot of sports books out there where you don't know what your max limit is as a better. You just type in whatever you want to bet. Sometimes you'll get hit with a message that this, this is over the max limit. But some of the offshore sports books actually post what their max limits are on games. And what you'll notice if we use an NFL week as an example is they might start with their openers at 500 bucks. And then by Monday afternoon, it's 2000 bucks. Then by Wednesday, we're at 5000 bucks. By Sunday morning, we're at 50000 or 100000 As the week goes on, the sports book is taking more money on games. And the reason that this happens is because every time somebody places a bet with a sports book, they're giving that sports book information. You're getting profile. Doesn't matter which sports book you're playing at in the world. Every single sports book is profiling each better in some way. So now all of a sudden, if the opening lines come out 500 bucks and all of their sharp bettors are betting one side, well, they're going to move the line towards that side because their sharp bettors have been able to identify value. And they're going to be more confident that they now have the right price and they're going to raise the limits a little bit as the week goes on. Then there's going to be another group of sharp bettors that comes into the market at the $2,000 limits and starts betting into that. And the sportsbook's going to use information to now adjust their line and raise the limits again. So typically speaking, the biggest sharp bettors in the world that are looking for the largest liquidity, the largest amount of money to bet, they're going to be waiting till later in the week. So as a recreational better, you want to get in before all these sharps are hitting the line into place. So typically speaking, as a good rule of thumb, earlier the better, the smaller the, the limits at a sports book, the better chance that you have to win. 
Now, a lot of people will say, well, what if I bet early in the week? I don't know if this quarterback's going to play. I don't know if, you know, what if an injury goes against me? People often forget that it can also work in your favor as well, right? There's a lot of instances where you'll make a bet and then somebody on the other team, team that you bet against, has a player that's that's injured um, and, and it works in your favor. But that's generally speaking, and not just for NFL. You talk about golf betting, Pat, it's the exact same thing, right? Early in the week, limits are much lower. By the time Wednesday night rolls around, the, the night before the tournament, limits are super high. That's probably the absolute worst time anyone can make a bet. Daily baseball, daily hockey, daily basketball, it's all the same thing. Closer to game time, harder to win. And in golf, it's especially more pronounced, especially if you're in the outright betting market, because I might be able to nab a golfer. And this happens almost every week when I bet on Monday morning, when the odds are released, that you'll see 70 to 1, 65 to 1. And by the time, if that person ends up being very popular, then Wednesday night, that golfer might be 35 to 1, 40 to 1, which, listen, you hit a 40 to 1 winner, you're going to be pretty happy, but you've missed out on 30 points of value per dollar that you can throw down. It's a pretty substantial difference. Like I found that by betting early, I actually can lose not, I I lose a ton betting on golf. Everyone loses a ton betting on golf. And the way to actually win money is probably not to bet outrights, but if you do, you know, you're going to have to hit a certain amount throughout the course of the year. But you know, if you can catch someone at 75 and they go off at 40, if you've got the 75, well, realistically, it's like hitting two winners at that point if you only ever bet on Wednesday night. So you can lose a little bit more because when you win, you win a little bit more or even a lot more, double, based on whatever your unit size is, rather than waiting till the last second in football. Like you might, you know, get like if I bet on Tuesday, I bet on the Cardinals plus six on Tuesday. And by the time Sunday rolls around, it's five and a half or five. Like, I mean, it doesn't mean you're going to win, but it is real value. That is the concept of closing line value, right? And there's a lot of stuff out there in terms of some bettors will, will talk about closing line value like it's the be-all, end-all, right? Where you bet a line, it moves in your favor, your job is done type of situation. And I'm kind of geared towards that, generally speaking. So what people don't understand is, this is like a very competitive sports betting is a competitive market, right? You're betting against the sports book, but you're really betting against other betters. That's that's who's shaping the line. Yes, the sports book is taking your action, but you're competing against everyone else. You bet on golf. Everyone else who bets on golf is a competitor of yours in some sense. Now, at the end of the day, you bring up the example 75 to one golf bet that moves to 35 to one 40 to one. At that point, your job is done as a better. You've gotten ahead of the market. The market has dictated that that closing line of 40 to 1 is what everyone who bets on golf in the entire world has collectively agreed upon as this is the fair value. Now, is that a perfect indication of the fair value? No, no one knows for sure. This is just, but with all the information that bettors have, they deem that this golfer's right price was 40 to 1 and you got 75 to 1. It's no different than if somebody was, if you were to bet a, a, a coin a coin flip and you were to get better than 50-50 odds, right? If someone gave you three to two on a coin flip, you're going to take that every single time instead of 50-50. It's the same concept. So closing line value is important. Lots of people get uh, caught up in just the win and loss. And as betters, we are conditioned to, to look at that stuff because ultimately that's what it comes down to. You're in betting to win money. 
But the better indicator of whether you're going to win money in the long run is not actually your your win loss sample over a hundred plays. It's how much you're how how many times you're beating the closing line and by how much. Um, if you look at how profiling works within sports books, I used to consult for sports books years ago. I'm very familiar with this myself. Typically speaking, the betters that are getting kicked out or limited at sports books are not the ones that are just winning in a short period of time. It's the ones that are beating the closing line. So ask yourself if if this is what sports books care about, and this is why you know who they're banning or who they're limiting. That's your goal as a better in the long run. Um, that that's the the truest indicator of whether or not you're going to come out on top over a long period of time. So closing line value, I think, is a principle that everyone should get to know and familiarize themselves with. And if you're not tracking it alongside your your just your profit margin at this point. I mean, I would start. Do you think that there are people that put a bit too much emphasis on closing line value rather than actually trying to win a bet? So there's different types of betters, right? There's what's called uh, top-down betters and bottom-up. I actually hate these terms. Uh, top-down used to be referred to as steam chasers, um, but that was like had a negative connotation associated with it. So somebody just invented the top-down approach. And then there's bottom up, which is uh, what's often referred to as origination. So um, if you're a steam chaser, and what that means for people who don't know, is you're just kind of picking off bad prices at different sports book, sports books. You have lots of accounts everywhere. Or when you see the market is starting to move in one direction, like a couple big sports books are starting to move towards one team. You go to a sports book that hasn't moved yet and you bet it there. That's the, the notion of top-down or steam chasing. If you're betting that way, then closing line value is really all you're going to care about because that style of betting is, is predicated on you just getting good prices over time. And that eventually is going to add is going to contribute to you winning. Bottom up, which is origination, this is more of like handicapping a game, right? You set your number on a game, you bet where there's edges. Sometimes there may be situations where you might be doing something that's different than everyone else in market. That actually might be correct. You might have access to data that other people in market don't have access to. So maybe the closing line there isn't the be-all, end-all for you because your process is completely different from everyone else's. Now, the question was, do some sometimes people put too much stock into it? I would say yes. There's people that get like have an unhealthy obsession with it where it's like some markets... Getting closing line value on an NFL point spread or total is a lot different than getting closing line value on an NFL prop market that has $100 limits everywhere because the, the NFL total or spread is going to be way more efficient. There's so many more people betting into that market that the likelihood that the closing line is a reflector of a reflection of the actual true price is very high. Whereas in maybe that prop market, prop market it's not so there's different scenarios with that said my advice to people would be to heavily focus on it almost to where it becomes an obsession because that will be the that you are not going to win in the long run without closing line value now whether or not it's the be all end all for you or you know you just somewhat care about it as part of your results it's it's almost it's, it, I only want to say almost impossible. It's nearly impossible unless 
you are doing something so different than everyone else that's giving you an edge, it's just not going to happen. The, the betting markets are so efficient nowadays. There's so many great bettors betting into them that this is almost a better way to measure your bet than the win-loss. And you will see over time, if you are getting closing line value, um, it, 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 it's going to translate to success. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Pro teams have millions to spend, and they don't always spend them wisely. But when it comes to a great shave, you don't have to shell out tons of cash. Harry's saw customers getting ripped off by the shaving industry with overpriced, underperforming products and decided to do something better. They found their own way to make beautifully designed razors for a fraction of the price of the other big brands, so you never wonder if you overpaid. Harry's shaving products look great, and the weighted handle makes shaving feel great too. I like to keep my beard neat, and Harry's always leaves me with a smooth yet crisp shave. Harry's quality is top-notch, thanks to German-engineered blades made in their own factory that stay sharp longer. You can get a five-blade razor, weighted handle, foaming shave gel, and a travel cover for just three bucks at harrys.com slash bluewire. And Harry's has the highest customer satisfaction in the shaving industry, plus a convenient subscription option that you can cancel at any time. Getting the best doesn't mean spending the most when you shave with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com slash bluewire. That's harrys.com slash bluewire for a $3 trial set. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. So it's better than me tracking the public bet percentage or reverse line movement in correlation with that? Yes, I would say that's a lot better. So this is like another thing that's come up. This was always a thing, right? Betting against the public. Um, and the market evolves right? We're at a point 2023 is not the same as 2013. It's not the same as 2003. Betting changes over time. And the notion of betting against the public is rooted in this idea that Vegas makes money. These sports books are all making money. So if all the people are betting one side of a game, 
why don't I just get on the side of Vegas or the sports books or whatever? And this should guarantee me success in the long run. The issue with this whole bet splits and fading the public and reverse line movement is that people forget that the sports book is making money because they charge a VIG on the game. You don't get to bet for free. They're not saying, oh, yeah, we'll take this side at plus 100 and you get the other side at plus 100 or even money. It's no. Pat, you want to bet into to the Pizzola Sportsbook, you have to lay minus 110. And the Sportsbook is therefore getting plus 110. So let's, let's take a week one example. You mentioned the Arizona Cardinals plus six or whatever. You want to bet Arizona Cardinals plus six into, into my Sportsbook, into DraftKings, whatever. You're laying Arizona plus six minus 110. That's the ticket you have. The sports book has the other side, Washington, minus six, plus 110. Now, if someone wants to go bet Washington because they want to be fade the public or whatever and be on the same side of the book, they can't go bet plus 110. They have to go out and place the Washington minus six bet at minus 110. These are not the same bet. Plus 110 for the sports book, minus 110 for the player. So that's where people don't understand that the fade the public strategy is not apples to apples. It's not like you can just be on the same side as Vegas. You can be on the same side. Yes, you're going to be on the same side at a, at a different price, a vastly different price. The sports book at plus 110, they need to win 47.6 of those bets to break, 47.6% of those bets to break even. When you're betting minus 110, you have to win 52.4% to break even. That's almost 5% difference. So it's not apples to apples. And then this whole notion of reverse line movement, it it, it, it just kind of is a slap in the face to the closing line value argument. So for those that don't know with reverse line movement, it's this is an extreme example, but 80% of the public is betting one side and the line is moving in the other direction. The other side is the sharp side. So now people want to go and bet what's the sharp side. Again, the issue with that is that people forget that the number associated with the game has something to do with it. So you're no longer betting the Sharps side. The Sharps might have taken out specific prices, and you're just betting into the leftovers. So here's an example. Um, Cowboys-Giants, just making up a fictional game. But the Cowboys are three-and-a-half-point favorites. Everyone's betting the Cowboys but the line is moving the other direction. It's now gone down to Cowboys minus three. It's now gone down to Cowboys minus two and a half. Somebody who's looking at bet, bet splits and using a reverse line movement strategy would say, wow, everyone's betting the Cowboys. The line should be going higher. Why is it going the other way? The Sharps are on the Giants. Well, yeah, the Sharps were on the Giants at plus three and a half. And then they were on them at plus three. But now the line is two and a half. And no sharp is betting it. That's why the line is still there at two and a half. And whoever's preaching this reverse line movement is now going to go place a ticket on a bad price. A team that is no longer of interest to professional bettors just because they want to be on the same side as what the professional bettors bet. And this is a horrible strategy in the long run. You don't obtain closing line value that way. You're waiting for the market to move before placing your bets on the same side as the way that the market is moving, in the long run, I'd stay clear of it. It's the big thing nowadays because there's a, a casual obsession with this stuff. But the quicker you can get this stuff out of your mind, the better off you are as a better.
I have really put it out of my mind. And this used to be a part of when I would come on in 2015 and talk about betting strategy and picks for the week. These were some of the numbers that I would cite. And then, you know, talking to you, betting for a long time now that it's been kind of beaten out of me at the same time. Like, yeah, I might glance at it most weeks. I don't glance at public bet splits or percentages because, I mean, I don't know how factual they are to begin with in terms of what data they're actually releasing and what they're not. I mean, how do we know? I mean, it's probably true. It might not be true. Who knows? But it doesn't tell you the specific number that these numbers are associated with, to your point, where you know I could be looking at a plus six number. Well, the line is plus seven and a half at this point. What does that actually tell me? Probably nothing. It's probably information that will hurt me rather than help me, wouldn't it? Well, for sure. And then if you just want to add further to that, Pat, ask yourself why a sports book would publicly release this stuff if it had value. Like if you're in the business of making money as a sports book, why would you put out all of this information that is going to essentially cost you money in the long run? Like the sports book has, has deemed has that there's no value on this, but we're going to put it out for, because there's a, a general public interest in it and people just get rooted in it. But you're absolutely right. You don't see a breakdown of bets at what numbers they came in at. You just see, 75% is on this side, 25% is on this side. Well, is that 75% on the number when it was three or three and a half or two and a half? We don't know. It's just guesswork. And on top of that, you don't, you know, to my knowledge at least, and I'm not huge on public bet splits, you don't see the breakdown by bet type. How many are on straight wagers? How many are in parlays? How many have been used in teasers? Like there's just so much more to betting. But, you know, generally speaking, the information wouldn't be out there and definitely not be put out there by sports books if it was hurting their bottom line. Let's try to hit on some more mistakes that people make before we move on to how lines get set overall, maybe some soft spots in the market that we can try to exploit. Uh, I mean, the timing of bets, I think, was a very good one as both a soft spot to maybe exploit, but something to really avoid if you're betting later on during the week. Uh, the other two were parlays and buying points. Uh, the, the Cam Stewart specials as i like to call them loves both those things we love cam we're gonna do our show with him every week but he just he can't help himself to buy the half point to buy the hook at what seems like a very unfair number the best way i would equate it would be to buying insurance and blackjack which i don't think anyone should ever do yep i totally agree with you um on the buying points front people a lot of people just want peace of mind and they'll always remember that one time where they bought a point and they got a win instead of a law, a push or a push instead of a loss. And as sports bettors, we're really conditioned to remember these things. But the reality is that when you're buying points, and I don't want to, this is not always, there are some scenarios where you can successfully buy a point. Usually this is a mistake by a sports book. It's extremely rare. But in the vast majority of instances, you are getting charged more than the actual point is worth plain and simple. So when we break down the NFL, right, you have like this, this range of, um, of, of spreads, but like every book knows how often a game is going to land on three, how often a game is going to land on six, seven, every number, there's a distribution for every single game. And what they will typically do is calculate that distribution based off of the point spread of the game. And they will upcharge you to buy points again just another tactic 
used by sports books to make more money in the long run. Steer clear of it. Parlay is the same exact thing, right? You're now compounding your plays for that chance of a big score. And I'm not telling you to never play a parlay. Like if you're a recreational better, but believe me, I've played many parlay in my life. I still parlay as a, as a better. Um, there are instances where it's actually effective for you to parlay. Like if you have an, a lot of edges on a specific game, when you're parlaying edges, that actually works in your favor. The issue is when you're parlaying bets that don't have an edge, it's absolutely detrimental to you. If you look at the public numbers that have been put out there by sportsbooks over the last couple of years in regulated markets where they're forced to release numbers, what you'll typically see is a lot of the recreational sportsbooks will hold in and around 5% on straight wagers. So when I say hold, that's basically what the sportsbook is keeping on every bet. So for every 100 bets that comes in on a straight wager, they're typically going to keep $5 of that bet in the long run. Once you start to get into what's called these exotics, parlays, teasers, these numbers start to go up to like 15%, 20% in some instances. These are just really bad bets for recreational bettors to make. They have a much higher hold. No different than if you go and play in a casino, you know exactly what the hold is on every casino game. The information's out there. If I'm playing blackjack, it's this, roulette, it's this. Let it ride is the worst odds in the in the casino. You know, you're basically playing let it ride when you're parlaying a bunch of games. And again, if if you're doing $2 bets, $3 bets to win a big score, I totally get it. That's like your style of betting and that's how you have fun. By all means, go ahead and do it. If the goal for you in the long run is to actually win money and sustain a bankroll, uh, it, it's definitely a bad idea. Well, I see it with my friends a lot because they're not necessarily betting every week but when they bet they like to try to win as much money as possible and they'll do something sensible like you know pick a game that they like from the early slate that they really like to get behind make a decent sized wager on that you know let's say you know 100 bucks 200 bucks on the chiefs and the points or taking the points this week and then they win then they get to the afternoon games and they're like well you know i'm up money already so i might as well just it's funny that you used let it ride as an example essentially what they do so they won their four like they now have 400 they bet let's just say it was well i guess would be, what would it be 380 that they have at a minus 110 now so they have 380 bucks it's like well i have this profit of 180 dollars. what i'll do now is play three 50 parlays seven games six games five games and like you and all of you watching i've been there i'll still do it from time to time because no one is perfect at this when they can preach what the right thing to do is. And I think that's a distinction that needs to be made too. We can preach at all bankroll management. We can preach, you know, the, the best way to bet on games. It doesn't mean that we're going to necessarily have perfect bankroll management because I don't. It doesn't mean that we're not going to play parlays of seven games because it's a lot of fun because I'm going to do that as the season goes along. The point of this show is to tell you that it's still a really bad idea. And I just see my friends lose all their money for that week essentially is what happens. <laughs> At the end of the day, a lot of this comes down to your goals as a better as well, right? And I'm I'm preaching from the behalf of trying to help people win money or like I said earlier, lose less money, right? These are these are are foolproof strategies that you can use. If you're if you're at break even better right now and you just start betting earlier, finding the best prices, avoid the bad bet types, like that will be enough to make you a winning better. If you're a losing better, it might not turn you into a break-even or winning better, but I guarantee you will lose less by employing these types of strategies. But there's going to be people out there that 
this is not me. I, I know I bet for money. I want to win. This is what excites me about betting. But there are people out there that just want to bet for, and they just want to sit down after work, watch a game, and they want to sweat. And that's totally fine as long as you're betting within your means. Like for me, all I can preach to that type of better is just don't let it become a problem, right? Never risk more than you can afford to lose. Start with a bankroll and just try to stay within that. Like it, that's a responsible gaming co conversation. But for those who want to get better at betting, these are things you can do. But yeah, listen, you know, I, I have friends that do the exact same thing, Pat. And their expectation is not that they're going to win in the long run. And if you approach that that way and you want to have some fun and you know that by doing this, you're going to cost yourself chance of actually winning money in the long run, by all means, do it as long as you're aware of that. It's the people that think that they are actually going to win in the long run by parlaying all these games and that they, you know, they see some things or there's some number of combinations in the props that like the, this is where we it's all fool's gold. Um, so it, it really comes down to the motivation of the better. I would think that parlaying props at a sports book, not necessarily at one of the daily fantasy prop sites, which are just sports books in a lot of ways. Yes. Um, and that give you actually technically worse odds. They just make it legal to do in your state. So that's sort of the trade-off that you're paying more VIG. But yeah. there are some sports books that allow you to parlay props together. And if you do feel like the prices are decent and prop the props market that the VIG that the sports book takes, because they're not going to monitor it as closely as they would the bigger markets, like you're saying, the spread, the total, the sides, the money lines, like they're going to pay very close attention to those numbers that huge limits are available on. And the props market, I mean, if you're that good at props, you're going to be limited very quickly anyway, especially if you're hitting them super early before they get a chance to mature. But if you do have a chance to parlay props together, even play a round robin of some sort ahead of the game, like, like I use Run the Sims. The Run the Sims projections have been amazing the past two years. And it's not like, oh, well, this guy, we have him at a 61% chance to go five over his total. It's like, that's not what I'm talking about. There are some props out there. You're like, oh, this number is off by like 40 yards based on the scenario that we're looking at. And it's not going to happen every week, but it will happen some weeks where you'll get you know, four of those together. I don't mind parlaying all four of those together because that's the edge that I feel like I have. And that's really the only way to make player props if you get limited at some spots and if you start parlaying i mean you would know this you work with the sports books if you're someone who parlays bets together what are the chances that you get limited versus someone who never does that yeah it's very low typically speaking parlay is considered a sucker's bet so if you have a trader looking at your account and they're seeing that you're playing mostly parlays then there's a decent chance that account is going to survive a lot longer but this is what i was talking about pat in terms of like if you have an edge on something and, and when I say if you have an edge, typically this is determined by whether or not the bet is going to get closing line value. So if you're tracking for hundreds and hundreds, thousands of bets, you're betting props, and you're getting very good closing line value regularly, you're probably going to get limited at, at a lot of sports books. But if you know that that's your edge and you kind of want to fly under the radar or you want to increase that edge, you can start parlaying those. It, it, there's, there's more variance you're going to lose more bets because they're now all tied together. But in the long run, that's actually a, a solid strategy for you. So it, it really just comes down to using the parlay bet, depending on whether or not you know you're going to win in the long run. And uh, it can be a useful tool. Everything can be a useful tool. Teasers can be useful tool. There's such thing as Wong teasers out there where you can actually bet 
um, certain numbers in NFL games that give you an edge. It's a small edge. It's like less than 1%, but you can use that type of bet type to your advantage. So um, cash out, you know, we, we didn't, never talked about cash out, but cash out is typically a bet that a lot of recreational bettors uh, or a feature that a lot of recreational bettors misuse. They'll play a parlay, they'll cash out on the last leg. And it's like, why? I mean, you should have just not included that last leg of the parlay if you were intending to cash out. You would have got paid more than actually using the cash out feature. But in some instances, if you have a parlay that's life-changing money, you the cash out feature can be useful for you because you know you would have never had that option in another scenario. So there's there's a lot of things that generally speaking, people will say, don't do this, don't do this. And 99% of the time, they're probably right. But there are circumstances in sports betting where you can actually use certain bet types and features to your advantage. Let's talk about the cash out for a moment, because I, I understand people just want to you know, they'll put the primetime game in yep. the last leg of their parlay. It's like, oh, if I hit the rest of them, I can cash out. Da, 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 da. And I agree with you that you're always better off letting it ride. There are circumstances where I don't necessarily like to cash out because I feel like cashing out takes advantage of the low limit player that doesn't actually have a big bankroll. Because a lot of the times, if you were to do a cash out or you were just simply to hedge by betting the other side of whatever your bet was, you're gonna get better odds by taking the hedge in that circumstance. Just a lot of people don't have the proper amount of money to put behind the hedge, especially if it's a really big number, like you say, something like life-changing money. People yep. just aren't sitting here with 26 grand to bet on the other side. That would just you know inherently save you four thousand dollars or like five percent. Like there's vig, and then there's vig on the cash out. It seems for sure. So this is just basic probability, right? So for people who don't believe what I'm saying here, if you want to try this yourself on an NFL Sunday, what you could do, I wouldn't suggest you actually try this yourself. But if you don't believe me, here you know you could easily do exactly what Pat, Pat is saying, right? You can parlay a couple games. Uh, at and the 1 p.m. slate and add an 8 p.m. game, the the Sunday night football, uh, or or you can you can do that as one and then parlay the two 1 p.m. games together without adding the Sunday night football slate, and you can compare the payouts. So that two game parlay, the 1 p.m.s, will always be higher than taking the cash out on the two game parlay and the Sunday night football one, because generally speaking. I, I uh, I'll put it in terms that like people can you know like deal or no deal right was a very popular game for a while. You know what the strategy is on deal or no deal? It's never take a deal because what's happening is you have all these numbers left on the board and whatever your banker is just adding up all these numbers, finding the sum of the amount of money you can win, dividing it by the number of briefcases left, and then they're just taking a certain percentage off of that. You're always going to get offered a shit deal. Now, you take a deal when it's life-changing money. Some people are up there and they're like, fuck, you know, I, I'll never make 200000 is like a lot of money for me, like, boom, deal. No issues with that. It's the exact same with the cash out feature. They're taking your expected value and they're just shaving a certain percentage off of it and they're offering it to you. And people will often take it because there's the peace of mind, right? Like, oh, I want to go to bed happy tonight. I want, you know, uh, what am I going to do if I lose this bet and, and whatever? If you're in that situation, by the way, you shouldn't be betting. If you're in like a, a mental state of what am I going to do if I lose this? But typically speaking, it's just another way that sportsbooks have figured out how to shift things in their favor just by a little bit more. 
And in the long run, if you were to just let these all ride, I guarantee you would make more than if you were cashing these out consistently. Um, another reason people use cash out, which is one of the worst possible ways, uh, reasons as well, is to get money back into their account quickly so that they can bet something else. Like, don't do that. That's just a bad idea. You're just killing your expected value every single time. So um, eh, listen, I never say never again. To Pat's point, there are people that, you know, they, they can't hedge the other side for big, big, big amounts of money. Um, people that like literally would lose sleep if their parlay doesn't hit and they didn't take that cash out, then just take the cash out. Like if it's, if it's that case, but for the most part, I just tell people forget that it exists. Honestly, like forget that it's even a feature at the sports book. And again, you're, you're much better off in the long run. You talked about Wong teasers very briefly. It's probably best that we explain those to give you a marginal advantage that I think that it got overplayed how mm -hmm. much of an advantage that a Wong teaser will give you versus just a regular teaser. But essentially, if you're playing a 10-point or a 6-point teaser, and let's say the line is 8.5, and, and then you can 6-point tease that through 7 and through 3, the two most common key numbers, well, that could be a leg of a Wong teaser if you wanted to put together. It could be 10 points, could be 6.5 points, whatever. It usually just works with 6 points, right? It's 6 points, and the price of the teaser has to be minus 110. So what a lot of sports books have started doing in recent years is changing the price of the six point teaser to minus 120 so that you no longer have an edge betting their long teaser. But people would think that they do if they were familiar with it. But yeah, in football, the most valuable numbers are three and seven. This has kind of been the case forever now where the, the most common landing numbers are a game. Team's going to win by three, team's going to win by seven. So knowing that as a better, what you want to do is take spreads that are in like the one and a half to two and a half range and tease them up through those numbers so if you get an underdog in a game that's plus two and a half and you can tease them up to plus eight and a half what you've done is you've maximized the value of that teaser because it's going through both three and seven and conversely if you have like a seven and a half point favorite in that game it's a good idea to tease them down because you're teasing down through seven, down through three. You're maximizing the value of the numbers that you go through. People, generally speaking, and again, I'm very much speaking in generalities. There's going to be a lot of people uh, that are watching this video that totally understand, and they don't make these mistakes. And But I'm just speaking as to what I see a lot of casual bettors and the mistakes that they make. They'll tend to do stuff like tease an NFL 11.5-point underdog up to 17.5. And it's like, well, you're teasing through so many numbers that don't matter. Like there's not a lot of NFL games that finish at 12 and 15. Like these are big mistakes. Teasing totals, right? The value you're getting in teasing specific, uh, the, the points of the totals that you're going through is not the same as, as the spread. And these are just like little things that people often, they're called teasers for a reason, right? It's a very apt name as to what it is. But yeah, the Wong teaser was over it was invented by Stanford Wong who wrote a book about this specific betting strategy and now that it's public everyone knows about it sportsbook knows about it betters know about it uh but it is still one bet type that you can occasionally find that um you can use to your advantage and, and give yourself a, a very very small plus EV bet I think that's an important distinction that you make too that we're talking about in generalities here common mistakes that people make 
that we're talking about either a new better, a beginner better, or even intermediate better who's been betting for a while, but losing and trying to clean up what they do in terms of some rules or just even trying to point out mistakes that are being made. If people are advanced and really want to take that next step, I'm guessing over at thehammer.bet, that's where they can find that information. They're not getting that information from me. They're going to get that information from you. Yes. So specifically at the hammer, we do have a channel called circles off, um, which we've been running for a couple years. And that's our, our educational content division of the hammer. You can find it on YouTube. If you listen in audio form, you can check it out on Spotify, Apple podcasts, wherever you find your podcast. But that is the educational division of the hammer. I do a weekly show uh, called circles off where we interview different betters in the space, bookmakers. Um, that's meant to be some sort of educational content. We do a lot of Q and A's with listeners where they can just drop their comments into the YouTube section. We get to them on the next show. Uh, I also do very short, brief, five-minute educational videos on specific topics that we get requested as well. But um, that's really boomed over the course of the last year. And if there's anyone out there, I mean, I, I, I candidly, I think this is suited to any type of better. If you're new, you can find something there that is worth your while. If you're rec plus trying to become sharp, you'll find something there that's worth your while. If you're already sharp, you'll probably find a lot of the interviews fascinating as well. But uh, over at Circles Off, that's a great spot. The rest of the content we do at The Hammer centered around different sports, but we try to approach it in a way that it does appeal to the masses and also isn't just content for the sake of making content. The one big thing for me that I preach regularly is we won't have content creators on our platform that are misrepresenting themselves. If we have a recreational better that's giving out picks, they're going to let you know that. If we have a... a a professional better giving out picks, they're going to let you know that. But that's kind of the big thing for us at The Hammer is, is transparency and, uh, you know, just being reputable. So like when me, Jeff and Tim do our show on The Hammer about the future bets for the rest of the season, people know what they're getting when they watch that. Hundred Within the first five minutes of this video today, Pat, you talked about yourself not being a winning better. And like that, that's all for me. My frustration with the content space, we did a video about this probably a couple of years ago, maybe a year ago, is just when people misrepresent themselves. You don't have to misrepresent yourselves to get to get views. You don't have to tell people you're a professional sports better to get views. In fact, you probably will get less views if you tell people you're a professional sports better. Uh, I don't know why a lot of people actually go out and do that because you're kind of going after like a niche market. But overall... Yeah, I don't think people are watching uh, the content here regularly, Pat, and saying, well, you know, I'm getting advice from Billy Walters or anything like that. I, I would certainly hope not, unless they think <laughs> that it's all just a giant swerve that I'm pulling to. You. So the people who know, know that I'm actually super sharp, which is not true. But maybe they think that because I'm trying to put everyone off my scent. I mean, there are people that think like this. It's the reverse yeah. line movement, people. It, it is uh, the, the like the, this is another one, right? The odds boosts at the sports book, right? Um, some people th think that the sports books are out to get them with the odds boosts. I have very like clear insight into how these are set and they are just random. They're like, this is going to generate a lot of buzz. Like if we boost this for Sunday night football or for Tiger Woods winning the masters, like we're going to get a lot of buzz. Like not a, a lot of people are not, the, the sports book trader isn't out there being like, we're going to boost this because it's it's a guaranteed loser. They have no idea whether it's going to be a winner or a loser. They're just doing it for marketing. It is a marketing tool. So there's people out there. And this started with a Justin Herbert game <laughs> where DraftKings had a boost on like a 
over half a touchdown. It was an absurdly large edge. Every single person who had access to a DraftKings account should have bet that boost, but he didn't throw a touchdown in that game. And the conspiracy theorists came out and said, I told you, you know, it was too good to be true. Guys, if you see an odds boost, if you if you go through a sports book, you see a, odds are boosted on something, just go compare that number to five different sports books out there. And if it's a better price, then bet it. You're getting a good bet. Like, it's just that simple. I'm not saying go bet every odds boost that's ever been created because sometimes they're not boosted enough to where they're going to even be a better price than other sports books. But it is an easy way for a new better, a rec better, someone who's betting small amounts of money to grow their bankroll. Like, it is an edge just being presented to you because the sports book... It, it, it's like a marketing tactic. They want you to bet it. They want you to win money so that you have a good experience with them and you have money in your account and you can keep betting down the road. The conspiracy theories on this, I, I mean, I, they're, I've, I've heard some, uh, uh, there's, there's a lot of, of crazy ones out there, generally speaking, over time. But the sports books baiting you into betting an odds boost has to be right up there with one of the worst I've ever heard. The thing that doesn't make any sense about it is it's all limited. It's not like you can get down $10,000 on the odds boost. Like I'm at every site that I play at, I think I'm limited to 20 bucks, maybe 20, sometimes 50, yeah. 25 bucks, whatever it might yep. be. Just cause I play them all the time and they generally win. Um, and that works twofold. And this is another thing that I wanted to get into about mistakes that I see my friends make all the time. And that I have been guilty of, I think we've all been there, be it at a casino or sports betting, whatever it might be that, you know, you start winning some boosts and let's say, yeah, this is a great way for a, someone who bets low limits or is a recreational better to build their bankroll. Well, what happens, Rob, when people start building up their bankroll, what happens to the size of their bet? They start to decrease generally yeah. speaking. Yeah. Um, the, the, look, look, this is a good problem to have for a better. If I remember the first time I got limited by a sports. Oh, no, book. no, I'm not talking about getting limited. I'm just talking about like, Hey, my buddy, Joe has just, yep. you know, he's, he won one bet and he played two of these odds boosts and he won one of them, but he was betting $50 a game for the NFL. Now he's won two $50 odds boost games. So he has a bunch of money, more money in his bank account than he thought he did before. What happens to the size of his bet as someone who bets at this point? What does it do? The bankroll management goes out the window and the bet sizes go through the roof. And then you lose and, all your money. <laughs> yes. So, I mean, again, I, Sports betting, I don't I don't want to make I don't want to deter people and say like, oh, I, I often say sports betting is a math problem. And if people knew how much math was involved in sports betting, it would it would deter them. It doesn't when I say math problem, it's not like I mean you need to have like some, you know, advanced PhD in mathematics or anything like that. Like there's just very small principles that you can apply. So bankroll management is huge, right? And I think when you're betting on sports. The first like thing that you have to do is set aside a percentage of your bankroll that you can use to bet on sports. And this is like, if I were to lose all this money, it's not affecting my my day to day, my well being, but it's got to be something that you can devote to betting. And typically speaking, I would just then say to people, okay, whatever that number is, for your average bet size, do something between one and two percent. And just try to keep it consistently in and around that range without stretching too much from it. And from there, it's very, very hard 
to just blow it all. Where people get into trouble, yes, bets are winning. I'm on a heater. I got to up up my bet sizes. This heaters, heaters and coolers don't exist in sports. They do in the sense that you can have a prolonged winning or lose, winning streak or losing streak. But most people you go up to who are on like a 10-game winning streak, you ask them, what have you done differently? Like why? Uh, I'm, I'm, I don't know. I'm just seeing the board clearly. Like, like why? You're not, your process is the exact same. It's the exact same as when you lost 10 games in a row two months ago. You just happened to win 10 games in a row now because there is randomness and variance in sports. It happens. You flip a coin, uh, you flip a coin 10 times. There's a certain percentage of the time it's going to come up 10 heads or 10 tails. It will happen over time. So you just have to understand that as a better, but increasing bet sizes for heaters, chasing loss, increasing bet sizes for coolers. It's funny. No one ever decreases their bet size. It's always just like, oh, I got to win this back or I'm I'm up a lot. I got to try to turn this into more. I have a friend with a blackjack strategy. It's like, all right, he'll start with a $25 bet. If he loses his $25 bet, he'll bet he'll it's now a $50 bet. If he loses that bet, well, now he's up to a hundred dollar bet. And then if yep. he loses that, he's up to a $200 bet. He's like, this is my strategy. It's hard to lose. And like five minutes later, the dude has no money left. Yep. It's a, that's called a Martingale strategy. It's a very common casino strategy that's used at a ton of different games. And it's all basically it, that strategy is rooted in. I'm going to win a little bit of money every single time. But what happens is you get the catastrophic, okay, I just lost 12 hands in a row. And now I have to put $40,000 on the table to win back my original $50 bet. Like, which is fine if you have a ton of money and you can afford to do that. When you're the guy walking in with 300 bucks to a casino, it goes away pretty quickly. Yes. Uh, one of the worst strategies ever. And people like people don't realize how quickly that can get out of hand. I've had friends that have done that before. You start with 100 bucks. I mean, just think about it, right? 100, 200, 400, 800, 1600, 3200, 6400. Within seven bets, you're at a 6400 bet size. You now have risked over $10,000 to win back your original $100 bet. Now, if you lose that, you're at a $12,000. Like it gets out of hand within seven or eight bets. Uh, bad strategy. Don't do that in sports. Don't do that in anything. Just the, the more you can keep your bet size consistent, the better off you'll be. Now I don't say I'm not saying bet the same amount on every game. If you feel like you have a big edge on a game, you should bet more on that than if you just think you have a marginal edge. That's that's just common sense. Like that's logic. But when I say bet more, don't bet 10 or 20% of your bankroll rather than betting 1 or 2%, maybe you increase that to 3 or 4% uh on a bigger type of bet. What else do I got going on here that I wanted to run by you? Oh, yeah, the pressing thing. I have a friend. I mean, he has a lot of money, so it doesn't really matter to him. Although he takes it very personally when he loses on sports betting. <laughs> he gets very angry. He quits betting three times every NFL season. Just happens. But yeah. he'll win Thursday night football. And then, like, he'll win an early game. And he'll be like, and, like, he, he's, I mean, I, a big better for someone who's very casual I mean, it really, really depend on who you know. Like, what you're betting is not what I'm betting, and what I'm betting is actually less than when he's betting. But he's putting down like a thousand bucks a game, which I would say is a pretty substantial. For casual, that's a big amount. Yeah, amount of money. But he'll do that on like an oh, I'm feeling the over under of this Thursday night football game. No one ever scores on Thursday night football. Thousand on the under wins. Gets a Sunday. Oh, I love the Cowboys money line. 
thousand bucks or twelve hundred bucks to pay whatever it is boom you know they win by a point the spread wouldn't have covered but the money line covers he's now on a heater there's like five thousand bucks going down on the next game and then he's just out of money and quitting betting on football <laughs> it's i mean sadly it's all too common like I, I i can think of a friend in my inner friend group that's the exact same way he's just not going to win money on a weekly basis unless every bet wins that is his path to success he literally needs every single bet to win because of his betting style, it's just going to end up with all of it on the final bet of the week, or he's going to be chasing losses or something like that. And that's why, you know, bankroll management is such an important principle in betting. And you don't have to be a pro to, to employ some level of bankroll management. That's not what this is about. Everyone should employ some level of bankroll management. This is what my sports betting fund is. It might be $1,000, might be $10,000, might be a hundred, And then Calculate your average bet size based off of that and just try to keep it as consistent as possible. Try. As humans, we're conditioned. We have feelings. It's going to happen. There's going to be times where you may, you might make a mistake because your emotions will take over. You've lost a bunch of bets. You don't want to lose 15, 20% of your bankroll in one day. So you try to win it back. And you might learn a hard lesson doing something like that, or you might win it back. Like there's a chance that that happens as well. But if you can condition yourself as best as possible to keep your bet sizes within a certain range, you're going to be much better off in the long run. And again, for a lot of rec bettors, I hate to say it, we this is industry studies, and we know this. We know in the range of 99% of people who bet on sports are going to lose in the long run, 98.5-ish percent. There are very few people who are going to win in the long run. You have to know that stat and prolong your bankroll as much as possible. Like if you're betting for the sake of betting for entertainment to try to win, whatever, no matter what the case is, don't do stuff where you're now, you're blowing your bankroll in a couple of weeks. You got no money to bet with. You're dipping into money that you shouldn't. Like these are just huge mistakes. So that to me is like the number one principle in betting. If you can't get your bet sizing correct, you just, you basically have no hope. Is there any specific way of how to use like a deposit bonus or sometimes sports folks will gift you a hundred bucks, a thousand bucks at sign up that you have to play that money. You don't just get to take it out that I, I mean, I personally like to let it ride on something really stupid. Uh, but is there a particular way that you should do you just treat it as like your normal bankroll and it just gets incorporated into part of that? Or is that something to splurge a little bit on? So with free bets in particular, what tends to happen is when you get a free bet, um, you don't get the the stake back when you so what what I mean is if you get a hundred dollar free bet from a sports book and you bet it, when you win that bet, they do not give you the hundred dollars that you put down as a free bet back. You only get the winnings. So because of this, you can mathematically optimize what you want to bet. But typically speaking, when you get free bets, the biggest mistake I see people make is they put it on like a minus 250 favorite. You're give, getting given free money. Take a shot with it. Literally take a shot. Big underdogs, parlays are acceptable in this type of instance because you're not going to get that original stake back. You're better off taking a shot with that bet. In terms of deposit bonuses, this is just like an element of this is essentially like free money, right? Like add it to your overall bankroll. Bankroll. If I was setting up new betting accounts nowadays, I'd probably just be looking for the sports books that are offering me the best bonuses in the first place because this is a very easy way for you to just increase your bankroll in the early going. Now you have to 
put enough action through the sports book in order to to get these bonuses in some instances. Uh, some of them are just like free on deposit. Like you read the terms and conditions and everything like that. But this is, I mean, when, when, when with regulated sports betting, there's so many sports books in market that are competing for your action that they want to get you to bet, bet at their book. We're in an era where sports books, not to the same as it was six months ago with what the deposit bonuses were offered at that time, but where they're competing for share of wallet and they want you to bet with them, use it to your advantage. Take these offers. Like there, a lot of them, people think, oh, there's like so many strings attached or whatever. In a lot of cases, they're not. There's You're actually just getting money to bet with. You might as well do that, add it to your bankroll. But the biggest mistake I, I see when it comes to bonusing is specifically with the free bets. Bet longer shots with the free bets. It's mathematically, it is the right thing to do. Don't put your free bet on a minus 500 favorite like this is this is bad bad use of it overall. So when you say you like to do stupid things with it, Pat, I, I mean, I I t I I tend to think of that as like okay, like long shot parlays and stuff like that. That's the right thing to do. All right. So Pat Mayo, experience smart better because I just want to play a seven game parlay with my free bet that goes into it, or bet some sort of long shot golfer at two hundred to one. But I mean, that's like but like you said, you don't get the money back. Yeah, like yes. if you don't use it, you don't get to keep it. So use it on whatever. <laughs> yep, take your shot. I mean, it's it's mathematically correct to take your shot uh, on on these types of bets. All right, I have about eight minutes remaining, Rob. So everyone out there who wants to learn more about how to become a better sports better, I could not recommend the Hammer Bet enough. On YouTube, you can go to the webpage and find everything up there as well and the audio podcast to go along with it. And this is the fourth year that Rob and I have done this type of show. And you, know, you can go back on Mayo Media Network, sub to that channel, this channel that you're watching this on or the podcast, and just go back and search. Just Rob and I had a bet on football and you'll find the different iterations of this show. Maybe watching them all in order will give you a good sense of what's changed, what's not. And it's not like a ton has changed, but there are certain things that have changed. But no, Rob, what I wanted to hear... So I was following the uh, the tweet threads on Twitter from BetBash uh, down in Vegas. It sounded like a great time. If it wasn't at this time of year, I would go. But uh, I got some prep work to do at the end of golf and football merging at the same time. And I do want to see my kids eventually. I mean, maybe but, you know, <laughs> I have to see my kids eventually. But you were on a panel with Darren Rovell and it sounded hilarious. I was. So I did an episode of Circles Off several months ago, which was uh, about the toxicity of gambling Twitter. Uh, it was basically a 45-minute rant about how Twitter has evolved over the course of my lifetime and how nowadays it's just betters shitting on one another and it's very toxic. Um, whoever was putting together the Bet Bash panels had heard that episode and reached out directly to me and said, uh, we'd like to do like an extension of this panel at Bet Bash, but we would like to get um, you know, different content creators on there. Um and I didn't know it was going to be Ravel in the first place. I only found out about that like a couple weeks before Bet Bash. But uh, to say it was an interesting panel would probably be an understatement or doing it a disservice. I've never been at a panel in a conference where people were clapping and like a, a standing up, like the audience itself. It was like so into it. And um, it was a very engaging discussion. I will give credit to Darren Ravel for even showing up because that's like, you know, he was in the lion's den. Basically you have a group of other uh, seasoned sports betters, pro sports betters, all who are there 
to see him get essentially roasted in front of a bunch of people. I was not personally trying to do that. I just lost my cool and got frustrated um, when he just was not hearing what I had to say. So my big thing, and it, this evolved into a discussion about content creators and what content creators should be putting out there, whether or not they have an onus um, or a moral responsibility, especially with a following like Ravel, 1.9 million followers on Twitter or X or whatever, um, whether they have a moral responsibility to put out stuff that's useful to the public, that's not misleading. My whole premise has always been content creation. Like everyone who consumes sports betting content consumes it for different reasons, right? Some might want to get better at betting. Some might want to do it for entertainment purposes. Some might want to do it just to be part of a community of other people that they can interact with daily. Like there's different motivations for why people consume content. For me, I just think that there's an onus on the content creator to be real with the audience and not misrepresent themselves. So I think that there's like an epidemic nowadays where people represent themselves as, as professional betters that aren't that, and, and there's no reason for them to do that. Like it's, it's, it's just entirely misleading. And Ravel misconstrued this as like a personal attack on him and his transparency. And this has nothing to do with his transparency. So his whole thing was, wow, I track all my rec. I track every bet I make at Action Network. There's no one that's more transparent than me um, or whatever. But that's that was not the point I was getting at. I was just getting at different creators in general not being authentic or real with their audience. And in the case of Ravel, also reporting on stuff like public bet splits, um, these parlay pats, Mattress Mac, massive parlays that give people like this false allure that they can do the same thing, put down like life savings on a parlay and win it and turn it into millions of dollars. Like that's my issue with the space. And it was very difficult. I, I felt like I could not convey that message accurately, but I felt like the rest of the room and the rest of the panelists were getting me, but he wasn't. So it got a little bit heated at that point. He called my credibility into question. Uh, my reputation into question. Other panelists came to my defense in terms of my reputation, but um, it it was certainly entertaining. I don't think it got anyone any value other than other than pure entertainment. But it it did feel like I was talking to a wall uh, at many points of that conversation. And honestly, I upon reflection of it, it kind of echoes why I think that this space is so dangerous because Darren Ravel is a business reporter who is working for a sports betting affiliate company. He's trying to get as many clicks and eyeballs to the Action Network as possible. And he knows nothing about the sports betting space, like next to nothing. And I think that's extremely dangerous when you have a following that large. And we there's a lot of us in the space that, that shit on Ravel, but there's also a large percentage of that following that actually cares about what he has to say. Um, and it, it's... It, it was a really challenging, challenging conversation, but uh, credit to him for even showing up um, to to something like that, because that was only going to go down one way. Well, I will assure you, I was getting DMs from one person who thought this was the greatest thing of all time. Mm. Yes, it would be uh, initials GF, yes. I would assume. Would, yes, would be that person. Yes. Um, you know what? Let's he, there's personal beef there, so that's a different story. <laughs> Jeff has personal and beef with everybody. He, he, so the thing, the thing about Jeff Feinberg, I've known Jeff now 
This would be uh, probably 14 or 15 years. <laughs> do not make enemies with that guy. Like, just do whatever you can to not get on that guy's bad side. Even if he, like, misconstrues one of your Twitter comments <laughs> as, like, hateful, I would follow up and be like, sorry, Jeff, like, no hate intended or what, like, do whatever you can. I've never seen someone with more personal vendettas than Jeff Feinberg. Cast. Not not as many as Jeff. Oh no, no. Yeah, well, Jeff has real personal vendettas. Cus just exactly. makes enemies with everyone somehow. For sure. So it's that's a different level. But Jeff, yeah. So I I I I mean I could tell who exactly what where that came from. So this was not tell like this was not it was recorded, but it's it hasn't been released to the public. But Rufus Peabody, another uh, professional better who was in attendance at that conference, was kind of live tweeting a thread of the entire panel and i will say like a lot of it was misrepresent you you can't capture everything that's happening in a tweet thread people's emotions while they're saying things like he tweeted uh that ravel said i am part of the problem which he did he said it sarcastically <laughs> and it was part of a larger sentence but that tweet blew up and um you know a lot of people probably don't have the the correct we're not they, they don't have the 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 right picture of what actually transpired that day. They might think that because of that thread that I was like, like I, I met Darren Ravel in the hallway 15 minutes before that conference. And he's like, you're, you're Rob Pizzola. I'm like, yeah. He's like, uh, how contentious is this going to be? And I said, honestly, Darren, I am not going in with any intent of this being contentious. I'm just going to state my viewpoints. And that's the honest to God truth. I went into that thing but I just got so triggered so quickly and I can't control my emotions in some of those cases that it, it went off the rails, but um, yeah, it was, it was, it was a shit show. I would call it. Well, we got a couple shit shows coming up on the Mayo media network. Me, you and cam are going to do our season long best bets. And then of course we have our weekly best bet show that we do during NFL season. But this year, are you excited for this win totals draft with me, you, Cam, Jeff, and Tim? Excitement would be an understatement, Pat. Uh, I, I, I'm counting down the days until that draft. Uh, it should be fun. I actually, we've only done one piece of content, all five of us together before, and I think it was maybe one of the best pieces of content that I've ever been a part of. So I'm looking forward to it from that perspective, uh, but purely because I know that Tim is going to go out of his way to make some absurd selections. And I'd like to be a part of there to roast him. The show that we did last Thanksgiving before the Thanksgiving day is the reason that this show is happening. So many people reach out to me to say, you five need to do more content together. And it's tough. I mean, I was actually shocked at how little time it took to put together a day in time for all of us to be recording, but you know, it's not a great time for me and for anyone else, but we got to schedule around Tim and Cam. They're the tough ones. Oh, for sure. Uh, you know, Cam, I mean, I, I won't give reveal too much, but yes, it's very challenging to get a, a lot of recording time with Cam, generally speaking. But it's also just tough, Pat, to do like content with five people. Like uh, it's hard to navigate, How hard for everyone to have their voices heard, hard for people not to talk over each other, especially when like a lot of it's remote as well. But uh, I've listened back to that Thanksgiving episode. I thought it was great. I mean, it's, uh, it's like a culmination of the personalities. And I think everyone is like uniquely like different 
has their own traits. It just, it, it all really works well together. Yeah. So hopefully we can live up to that expectation with the win totals draft that will be coming soon. Jeff, Tim and I will have NFC and AFC win totals separate shows coming at you. So there's a lot of content that people actually want to watch coming on Mayo Media Network very soon. So go do that. For more Rob, check out thehammer.bet in the Circles Off audio podcast or YouTube channel if you do want more content on educational betting, which I highly recommend that you go do right now. If you have any more questions for Rob and I, you can drop those in the comment section. We have the shows from years past, which you can check out on Mayo Media Network. Smash the like on the way out as well while you sub to the channel. I'm Pat Mayo. Thanks for watching. I'll see you next time. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m. and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com